taking care of things there. But uh, I pray that you come today expecting to meet with God on purpose. Amen? Take your Bibles and open to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. Is it just me or am I the only one that has enjoyed this study? I really have enjoyed the study in the book of Acts. I really have. I remember when we took the class years ago in Bible college, and, and uh, of course, everything in Bible college seems to be a blur. Uh, things are going so quickly. I was working two and three jobs, had a family up on campus, just trying to make things go, make ends meet, and then you're going, boy, am I learning anything? I'm learning anything. So you take, hang on to those books, and you keep going back through there. So that's what I've done. <clears throat> we'll go ahead and read the text. who had been killing the children of God, people of the way, and he's received letters, has letters in hand, and he's on his way to Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus. And last week we found that God shone a bright light about him, uh, so much so uh, that it blinded him. He says, uh, uh, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, this is Saul, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless. Now, as we read these words, allow this to paint a picture in your mind's eye. See what's going on. The men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. I have to imagine it had quite an impact upon him. Quite an impact upon him. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. <clears throat> and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's have a word of prayer. As I pray, you pray. Ask God to speak to your heart. Father, we ask that at this time, <clears throat> you'll bless the preaching of your word and the teaching of it. God, I pray that as we come in here today, that we'll be able to release all those thoughts in our minds, all those things that trouble us and bother us, 
God, everyone has a different circumstance that they're dealing with. And so, Father, I pray that we'll be able to trust you enough to just allow you to speak to us, as you did Ananias, as you did to Saul of Tarsus. God, I pray that you'd have your will and way in this service. And, Lord, we understand that it's really a lot up to us because we have to yield ourselves to you. So, Father, we pray that you would do your perfect work this morning in this house. May we be all of one accord like the early church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> remember, we we're taking this slow walk through the book of Acts. We're trying to remember uh, what it is to be a true disciple church. We're trying to continue in the apostles' doctrine. We saw the ascension of Jesus. We saw the filling of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, the 120, and they were all in one accord. We saw the mighty preaching of Peter as he preached that powerful message and 3,000 souls were added unto the church. And he continues to preach and then several more thousand are added. And matter of fact, it says that they added to the church. It was greatly multiplied unto the church. We saw how they were in one accord and, and then you see Satan come in and you have Ananias and Sapphira and they lied. And Peter said, why Satan put it in their heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost. And we had the first example of church discipline where uh, God actually killed them. And they killed them. And then we saw come on the scene, uh, you know, the Sanhedrin had been telling the, uh, the apostles all along, you can't preach, don't preach, don't preach. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, they took them and put them in jail because they were preaching. And as they're in the jail, they get out. And they come and report back to the other Christians. The Christians didn't pray for protection. The Christians prayed that they would be able to stand and do what was right and claim. You know, as time go, gets difficult around us, as this world seems to go deeper and deeper down, uh, falling away from God, we need to be able to stand as children of God for what is right and what is true. And then we saw the uh, Stephen. They chose the uh, seven disciples, and they saw Stephen... Uh, there before the Sanhedrin, Stephen knew they were going to kill him, but he was ready to meet God. And we watch as Stephen responded to the Sanhedrin and told him, gave him all the answers and talked to them about how that God provided you saviors all along the way. Joseph and Moses, and now finally the Son of God, he's provided you as a savior and you killed him. And then they stoned him. And as Jesus is standing there over the precipice of heaven looking down and, and watched his beloved son. And then we go on and we see that it had Ananias. Ananias. And he goes, I'm going to go into Samaria. I'm going to evangelize. And he took the gospel to Samaria. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 verse 8 says there was great joy in that city. You know Jesus Christ your personal savior? There should be great joy in your heart today. Knowing that Jesus has saved you. Your home used to be hell, and now it's in heaven. And then we go on down, and you see that Ananias is now called by the Holy Spirit to go join yourself to that chariot. And what did he do? He ran. He ran over there and got in that chariot. That's how we should respond when God calls us to do something. Don't stand by and twiddle your thumbs and go, well, maybe he didn't really mean it. Get up and go. Get up and go. And he did, and we see that uh, uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch was there, and he was reading, and he didn't understand what he was reading. It was in the book of Isaiah, and 
Philip said, you understand what you read? He said, well, how can I understand it unless some man shows me? And so then he began to preach unto him Jesus. Amen. He preached unto him Jesus. And he came to a point where he understood. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He said, you believe. And so he baptized him. And we talked about last week how that, as they came up out of the water, and we're just kind of looking at this through our mind's eye. Remember, put yourself there and watching this stuff go on. And you look at it, and as they come out of the water, soaking wet, and the Ethiopian eunuch maybe turned to say something to Philip, and he was gone. And he was gone. And the Bible says in verse 39 that he went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing. That's what the child of God should be doing today. And then last week we saw the conversion of Saul in the first five verses. We talked about that. We talked a little bit about conversion versus easy believism that we see a lot. Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. Yeah, but have you been converted? Have you been converted? We're talking about how that Jesus, uh, 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 lost my train of thought. Saw some people. We're talking about how that uh, some people will say, I believe, I believe, and and then they, they believe, and yet their walk continues just to go the same way that it did before. But when you're truly converted, I believe, and it caused you to go a different direction. It caused you to go a different direction. That kind of brings us up to speed to where we are at this moment. Remember, it's a slow walk. It's a slow walk. You know, it's kind of good to rehearse these things over your mind. It reminds me of Brother Meyer, Dick Meyer, who's gone home to be with the Lord. He would teach a class. He was in the Old Testament. He was in the prophets. And he had been in the book of Lamentations. And he came into class one day. And Alice was in his class with me. And she says, what's wrong with Brother Meyer? I said, he's lamenting. He's been in the book of Lamentations. He's lamenting. But this was the same man that told us, oh, my goodness, I think there's, look it up and let me know how many chapters there are. 1100 and something chapters in the Bible uh, that he had given each chapter a title heading and so that he may be able to say oh yes that chapter is about this this is what it's talking about and that's kind of what we did this morning we recapped a little bit about the first eight plus chapters in the book of Acts so now back to our text back to our text I've entitled this message, it's kind of a long one, it says, do you, have, do you view the commission of God for your life as unexpected, unwanted, and unusual? Verse 6, here's Saul of Tarsus, says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The Lord, the apostle, not the apostle Paul yet, but... Paul used the word Lord again. And at this time, it was not as acknowledgement of who it was, but as acknowledgement of confession of faith. Confession of faith. God had put Jesus on the throne of the universe, and now Saul had put God on the throne of his heart. Is God on the throne of your heart this morning? Is he really on the throne of your heart this morning? There's a short poem that says, Lord of every thought and action, Lord to send and Lord to stay, Lord in speaking, writing, giving. Lord in all things to obey. That should be our call this morning. From here on out, Jesus was Lord in Saul's heart. 
in his mind, in his soul, in his will. Does God have full control of you this morning? Full control of you this morning. The old Saul had been crucified. He died in Christ. He was buried with him forever. And now stood a new Saul in Christ on resurrection ground. Jesus was the Lord and Savior from his life here on out. Oh, that Christians could say that. Oh, that Christians could claim that. We seem to be hot and cold. We seem to have an on and off button. Shouldn't be an on and off button. You're a child of God. You should be a, act like a child of God all the time. In verse 7, it goes on. It says, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. See, there was a group of them going. They were on the road to Damascus. And I think it's 130, 150 miles, I think, from Jerusalem to, to Damascus. So they had quite a trip. But now they're coming in kind of closer. And there's a great light that shone about him. It's interesting to note that they heard a voice, but they saw no man. They heard a voice, and yet God wasn't speaking to them. He was speaking directly to Saul. Now, I need to let you know that God would speak to each and every heart this morning. Does he need to take a big, great, bright light and shine it about us in order for us to do that? I hope not. I hope not. But right at that moment, God's call was to Saul of Tarsus. You know, it often happens that way. You've been in meetings before, whether there's 40 people, 400 people, or 4,000 people. The message will be preached, be presented. The preacher may be an eloquent speaker, does a wonderful job of laying it out. And at the end of the service, you'll get up, and many people will leave unmoved. Unmoved. But there will be that one. There will be that one individual, maybe two individuals, that will hear the message and they will meet the Lord as their Savior. On this occasion, Paul's traveling companions heard a voice. They were present. They knew something was going on, but they didn't know what. They didn't know what. In verse 8 it says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was blind. He was blinded. Words for sight using these verses. Verse 7 says of Saul's traveling companions, they were speechless, hearing a voice, seeing no man. They were spectators. Their eyes were open. Their eyes were open. And they stared, but they saw nothing. And a lot of times people, even Christians, will come to church. And they'll see, but they'll hear nothing. They don't hear nothing. Note the contrast between Saul and his companions. They all looked about them and saw nothing. Saul was blinded and saw everything. See the difference? See the difference? That's what God would have for you this morning. They were as much in the dark for all their bodily sight as people could possibly be. Saul, though physically blinded, had his inner eyes opened to the light. Verse 9 says, And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. His companions led him by the hand into Damascus, found him a place to stay, and left him. You know what's interesting? When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you truly have given you him your heart, 
something changes. I can remember back when my mom and dad, I was just a young boy, and on uh, Friday nights, you know, uh, they would have the poker parties, they'd have the beer and things like that. Uh, my, my folks were not heavy drinkers, I do recall that. I never, I don't ever remember time when I saw my uh, parents inebriated. But they would have this on Friday night. They had their friends. Something happened. They got saved on a Tuesday night. Their Friday night poker party immediately changed from poker to password. How many remember playing password? Oh, just me, oh, there's a couple of us. Password's a funny game. It's a funny game. Not so funny in that I can remember Alice and I playing against my mom and dad and uh, uh, my mom would look at the word and she goes, oh, you got this one, Sydney. She'd say to my dad, you got this one, Sydney. Now just look at me, watch my eyes. <laughs> Some of those things going on, it was just funny. But those parties changed from poker to password. There was no more beer, there was coffee. Why? Jesus had made a difference in their heart and life. They'd been converted. They had changed. They had changed. You know what was interesting to watch is that all the friends that used to come over, a lot of them didn't come over anymore. They didn't come over anymore. What happened? The friends left them. Saul's friends left him. They left him for three days. I can imagine Saul needed three days just to just kind of recoup, think about what had happened, what was going on. Paul later told the Philippians that all things he had counted gain, he now regarded as loss. All the things building up to this in his life. You find that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. So Saul waited patiently in the dark, confident that God would speak to him. He had no idea how or when, but he waited patiently. He waited patiently. Have you ever prayed a prayer to God asking him to give you direction or instruction or open this door, close that door, and it's just kind of quiet? Continue to be patient. Yeah. Continue to be patient. In verse 10 it says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, look at his response. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Behold, I am here, Lord. You know, I can remember as a child, uh, my mom or my dad saying, Donnie, and I might have been in another room, might have been outside, you come running, Johnny on the spot, what? You go, here I am, here I am. What is it you need? When your heavenly father calls, do you respond to him? It's interesting to know, God has saints everywhere. He has his children everywhere. Here at Damascus, you find this believer named Ananias. Now, he had not been called uh, to be an apostle or a deacon at the church of Jerusalem, but he's called a disciple. By the way, you, if you know Jesus Christ, your personal savior this morning, you ought to be a disciple. You're supposed to be a disciple of Christ. But God had an important meeting for him to keep, and God called him via a vision. Like Ananias, God has a plan for you. Don't think that I'm just insignificant. Don't think, it, oh, who am I? No. You're that important to God. God has a plan for you. The Bible said he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's all of mankind. 
from Paul, the Apostle Paul, who said he's the chiefest of sinners, all the way to Job, who was a perfect and upright man and eschewed evil. He needed a kinsman redeemer. We all need to receive Christ as our Savior. And upon salvation, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. Verse, okay, and in verse 11, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. A little bit of information, the street called Straight is still a street in Damascus today. It travels from the west gate to the east gate, all the way through the city. And in Bible times, this street would have been extremely busy. Extremely busy. Made me think and wonder about what must have happened, not just with as Saul that we read about what happened and we read about his companions, but those watching from afar. You know, keep in mind, child of God, that people are watching you from afar. They've got their eyes on you. You're a witness and testimony even when you don't know it. Make sure that you're the right, proper type of testimony. The first thing, the thing that the Lord noticed about Saul in that verse, what was it? Behold, he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth. You know, Saul had said his prayer since he was a little boy. But now for the first time, he really prayed. He truly prayed. You know, many pray. Many pray without response as they do not know God. I talk to people all the time. Boy, I'm praying. But they don't know the God. Verse 12, it says, And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Saul was praying. God spoke to him and told him, This is what's going to happen, Saul. Man's going to come in, Ananias. He's going to put his hand on you and you're going to receive your sight. Ananias had no doubt that, no doubt what God wanted him to do. Verse 13, now you can kind of see what's going on in Ananias' heart and his mind. He says, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard uh, by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. You know, kind of like sometimes when maybe your parents would give you an instruction as a child and maybe you were doubting in your inabilities, but they're trying to grow you. And they said, you can do it. You can do it. Trust me, I know you can do it. But Ananias is really doubting this commission that God had given to him. Why? Saul's reputation had preceded him. Saul was well known, says Saul of Tarsus. All of Damascus must have been buzzing with what was going on, for they had heard he's coming to us, he's got papers in hand, and he's going to put people of the way, people that are, are in this new religion, if you will, this new sect, going to put them in prison. Some have even been put to death. He was infamous. He was appointed by the Sanhedrin. And he was going to imprison those. Now don't miss this point. It's amazing how God, how patient God is with, with us. 
how patient God is with us. I can look back in my times growing up and, and realize the patience of my father, the patience of my mother with us as they tried to nurture us and grow us into teenage years, into adulthood. They were teaching us to be adults. And God is trying to grow us into the people to do his will. Here we have Ananias questioning the commission. And that he does it by telling God that he's heard terrible things about this Saul. As though God didn't know that. God knows that. God knows that. You know those things that you're fearing to do this morning for the Lord? You have doubt. I would like to do this, but boy, if I do that, and that might happen, this might happen, that might happen. You know what? If God has called you to do something, do it. Do it. Often we argue with God as we know better than he does. And God patiently lets us do it. Why? He's growing us. He loves us. Verse 14, he continues and he says, And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. I mean, he was pleading his case. Well, think about it. God's called you to go to somebody that you know has killed people, had people put to death, put them in prison. I don't know that I would be that anxious to go. Be quite honest. All the Lord's people in Damascus knew that Saul was coming into the city to wreak havoc, wreak havoc upon the Christians. Ananias was telling God what Saul was up to, and he might well have added, you can see why this would be very silly for me to do. Aren't we the same way? Aren't we the same way? You know, maybe we don't say it out loud, but in our heart. Well, by the way, who knows the heart? God knows the heart. God knows the heart. Apparently, Ananias, and here's where I got my title, was so alarmed with the unexpected, the unwanted, and the unusual commission that he never grasped the meaning of those three words that Jesus said, Behold, he prayeth. There is your cue. Something's different about him. He's different. Ananias did not have any firsthand experience as far as we know of Saul's persecution, but he had heard the stories. He had heard the stories. Sometimes you get around people and they'll tell you a story. I don't know if I believe that, but then you get around somebody that you know real well and you trust and you go, oh man, that's a true story. I believe them. I believe them. Can you imagine what was going on in Damascus? You had all these Christians that had fled there of the way from Jerusalem up to Damascus so they'd be safe. Now Saul's coming after them up there. Can you imagine the parents, the Christian parents, and the fear they had in their heart for what would happen if Saul would come into our house and take us away? What would happen to our children? You know, what would cause us to fear so much that we would not respond to God's call? Perhaps you face that. Verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Saul was a chosen vessel. God had determined the course of his life. All Saul's previous life had been a preparation for this moment. Yes, in his lost years, God was preparing him. Preparing him. Think about it came from a Hebrew home where he could be brought up in a synagogue. 
the knowledge of the scriptures, acquainted from childhood with the, with the knowledge of God, the Hebrew Bible, a training as a rabbi, even his hatred of Christ and the church and his savage persecutions will be turned to a good account. Turned to a good account. Here we are this morning gathered as McKee Road Baptists, individually chosen vessels. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Just like the Apostle Saul, we each have special training. We have special talents. We have special temperament. We have special background. We have a special upbringing, a special culture. We have characteristics. God makes no two people alike. All the people in the world, there's what, seven plus billion people in the, in the world today, not counting all those that have lived before. No two people alike. No two people alike. Don't believe me, just get married. You'll find out how unlike you are. And you start to blend that marriage. Paul was chosen to carry the saving name of Jesus before the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel in that order. He was apostle to the Gentiles. He, you know what? He was far better equipped to do that than Peter was. He was far better equipped to do that than James was, than John was, than Philip the, the evangelist. All those, none of the apostles were qualified to do what he was to do. Understand this. You, as a child of God, are equipped to do some things that no other child of God has been equipped to do. That means those people that are in your world, your circle of friends, your, your relatives, God has got you there for a specific reason, just as he did the Apostle Paul. In verse 16, it says, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Years later, Paul gave the Corinthians a parcel a partial kind of catalog of, of what had gone on in his life, his sufferings. You find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. He talked about how he had been beaten and how that he had been bruised by the Gentiles and the Jews alike. He had been in prison. He'd been stoned, been shipwrecked again and again and again. He had known peril, weariness, pain, hunger, cold, and thirst. You know, Ananias really had no need to worry about the Apostle Paul or the Saul at that time and coming to make the saints to suffer. Why? For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I don't think any of us here this morning have been really called to that like the Apostle Paul had been. But Ananias had no need to worry. Saul was going to do his suffering. He took on all the care of the churches. You know, I think about it. To his dying day, think about it. Because God didn't erase his memory. He forgave him for what he had done. But he didn't erase his memory. To his dying day, he must have had great remorse for all the things he'd done to that early infant church. Amen? Killing people, having them put in prison. Every head bowed and every eye closed. A couple of questions here, then we'll open up the invitation. I remember the invitation is a time when you're responding to God's call in your life. Do you believe that God speaks to you? Absolutely. He speaks to us through his word, amen? And then that Holy Spirit bears witness within your own heart and prompts you 
as you should move. I was wondering this morning, when it comes time for us to die, what great remorse will we have in our life? Will it be for the things that you've not done? That God had put in your heart to do, but you didn't do it? Or will it be for things that you have done? The sin. A child of God, we got 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can wipe the slate clean. But again, that's a point where you're to turn from that sin. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. You recognize that there's a God in heaven and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, but you've not received him as your personal savior. The book of Romans, chapter 10, 9, and 10, 13 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is your state this morning? Father, I ask that you would have your will, your perfect will and way, in the hearts of life of those gathered here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.